Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. What's happening, everybody? I'm Fox 13's Jeremy Pierre, and you can catch me every day, Monday through Friday, on Good Morning Memphis on Fox 13 from 4.30 a.m. until 10. I'm chilling with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. This is DeAndre Brown with Lifeline to Success, and I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on Verbally Effective. Michaelin Easter Thomas was elected to the Memphis City Council District 7 seat in November of 2019. She is a native North Memphian and is the daughter of Cassandra Love White and the late William Michael Easter. After matriculating through the Memphis City school system, Michaelin took her educational quest to a new level at Christian Brothers University, graduating cum laude with her Bachelor's of Arts degree in history with minors in political science and peace studies in May of 2013. Yet, this proved to be a mere stepping stone for Michaelin as she took her educational pursuit to the next level as she received her Master of Arts in teaching from the Columbia University of New York. Michaelin discovered another calling on her life to partner with residents in the transformation of the North Memphis community. With this in mind, she founded Our Grass, Our Roots nonprofit organization, a grassroots movement centered around North Memphis community, informing the community of resources, resisting gentrification, and advancing the community and individuals of the community. Her commitment to community is evident through her service with other organizations. She serves on the board of directors for Valentine Evergreen Community Association, Blue Memphis, Memphis Greater Green Line, and Friends of Chelsea Green Line. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I just want to thank you guys for rocking with me this entire roller coaster of a year. 2020 has been something serious, right? But hey, we still here. We made it. We breathing today. But I want you guys to be safe out there. And make sure you go to my social media links at Ina Esco, E-N-A, E-S-C-O, and click on that link to get you some cute merch. Yes, we got the merch. We got the hoodies, the sweaters, the Henry mask. Make sure you check it out. However, let's jump right in. I have this beautiful woman with me today. She is running things over there in that city council, baby. I'm talking about Michaelin Easter Thomas. She is on the city council for District 7. How are you, lady? Hey, Ina. I'm doing well. How are you? 
I am wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know we're, you know, in the holidays in the thick of it. I know you got things to do, honey. Are you excited about the holidays this year? You know, it just seems so far away. Like for some reason, Christmas doesn't seem like it's a few days from now. It I know. Like it's like next week or something. I'm, yeah. I don't know. So it's, it's a different year, right? Yeah. This, this is, we're in a time warp of something. So girl, we in a hole in the warp. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel you. This is just a different year. We're definitely going to yeah. touch on some of that in the pod today, but we're going to jump right in, Michael. And what part of Memphis are you from? North. North, North. <laughs> okay. What, what part of North Memphis, honey? Um, so grew up in Valentine Evergreen, so Evergreen area, um, but definitely have, have roots, have friends all across North Memphis neighborhoods. So Smoke City, High Park, Douglas. Yeah. Wow. Chelsea. <laughs> hey, I know what that said. How was it growing up in North Memphis? And, uh, tell me about the schools that you attended in North Memphis. Yeah, I mean, um, North Memphis is a is a beautiful place to live. You know, I invite anybody to come move to the North, um, back then or now, and it's just a different time. Children mm-hmm. had a different lifestyle. Um, always outside, yeah. you know, always playing, riding bikes, scuffing up your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different world pre technology. So I think a lot of people can can just vibe with how that is, and yeah. I think we experience the same kind of childhood especially if you live in in the city but I went to actually I went to elementary school in South Memphis because my grandmother taught there so you know you got to go where you can get a ride yeah (laughs) (laughs) I went to Georgia Avenue Elementary on uh, Mississippi Boulevard you know I met a lot of some of my lifelong friends there um, in in the south part of the city so I kind of got a a lot of different learnings from over there versus <laughs> over yeah. here. Yeah, um, but you know, you. in Memphis, you got to be well-versed all the way around. So, yeah. And then I went to Snowden, and okay. then I went to Central, graduated from wow. Central. Wow. Okay, Central. You know, I, I've had quite a few uh, guests that have went to Central. They love Central, baby. Like, hey, how? You know. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got Central. <laughs> what, what kind of activities were you involved in? What were you interested in, Michael, in at Central High School? Um, well, Central, I was on a dance team. And okay. if you went to Central, then you know um, it was a definite distinction between the dance team and the cheerleaders. What was the um, difference? What was the distinct yeah, difference? I, tell I'll me, let you tell. find somebody else and ask that, ask them that difference. I don't want to go too far back. Ooh. But... <laughs> Um, dancing, history, English, um, societies, whatever I could get my hands into. Um, And then, of course, that was the era of high school organization parties. Um, You don't really see that anymore. So, of course, anybody, you know, graduating around 07 to 2010 is probably going to have that same experience. Um, Even if you weren't in an HSO just being around like you know shun gun parties and mm-hmm. going to all the adult clubs before the adults get there mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah that, that was a wild time now you look back now I'm like really y'all had us yeah. doing this there um but, but it was fun though right it was yeah it was definitely fun <laughs> yeah it's like some of the best times of your life honey and um i see that you attended christian brothers university what what made you choose cbu um, well, I actually wanted to go to an HBCU at first, 
but I didn't have the right people in my ear telling me why I should. And so I made a selection that felt more comfortable. Looking back, I wish that someone would have just said, you know, get your tail up, pack your stuff, and go to where the black folks are. Um, and so I tell that I'm in education. I tell it to every kid <laughs> come across. You know what HBCU we going to? Um, be around your people, get get support and love from your folks, and then be able to use that foundation to go off into the world and do whatever you want to do. And I think that especially in this year, it's evident um, that you know HBCUs ain't ain't no second tier to anybody. There's no shade to CBU. I love CBU. Come on, alumni board. Um, go books, but I do think about what would life have been like if I went to an HBCU. Yeah, I attended Lamorne on College here in Memphis, and um, it was by chance that I attended it, but, you know, I'm so thankful that I had that experience in my life, and, you know, I just heard you mention that, you know, you tell any of the kids here you talk to to attend an HBCU, you know, we seeing that preach to the children right now when you didn't really hear that just a couple of years ago (laughs) you know wow so um okay cbu tell me about your major and some of your experiences while attending christian brothers um i made i think i made the best out of the situation at cbu i liked it because it was small class is small you know the professors they know you uh campus is small I may be a little lazy at the time. I want to walk up and down. <laughs> I play up and down uh, campus. So that was, it was real good for me. But I did history, majoring in history, political science, and peace studies. And just being able to, you know, ask questions, really dive into what you don't know. So a lot of experiences and opportunities I got just by asking what's going on mm-hmm. in here. Um, I had a work-study assignment that was delivering mail to different buildings across campus, and I stumbled across the study abroad office. And I'm like, what's study abroad? What are y'all doing in here? What's going on? (laughs) And so, you know, just having that opportunity to, within that small campus, to be able to be nosy, and that's that's really what I do. Um, be nosy, see what's going on, and just ask, can I be a part of it? And because you never know what you're able to do mm-hmm. until you just go for it. Yeah. Wow. So you know, I got many friends uh, while I attended LLC that went to CBU sorority sisters, and we hung out at CBU all the time, and, and they loved the CBU. But it was like you said, small, close knit. Um, you know, you had access to your professors comparable to a bigger university which you may not always have that close relationship so um tell me about uh this history major I know you said you nosy what made you want to um you know get a degree in history well and I'm gonna tell you a secret I did (laughs) not go in a history major (laughs) (laughs) what did you go in as in biology major for my Ooh. whole life, I said, I'm going to be a dentist. I'm going to get a, a dentist truck, just ride around the hood, fixing little kids' teeth and stuff like that. So, but when I got in there, those science and math classes, they mm, ate you they up. Weren't, they weren't working. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me, let me take a step back. <laughs> let me right. self-reflect. What can I do that will be enjoyable, but also help me help children? 
and do outreach because that's that was my main thing just helping people what can i do to help people um now being a dentist would have put more money in my pocket but i chose education (laughs) and um like i just said math and science were my thing so i loved history and piecing stories together and being able to tell a pattern of what's going on and what influenced it and just seeing do we see any remnants of that in our current life and so that's really all history is is connecting the dots and being able to tell a story that's supported by evidence you know being able to make it relatable yes and you know that's you know such an important statement you just mentioned considering the period of time that we are in now (laughs) you know just thinking politically with the elections um but also in regards to medical advancements technology health care michaelin what would you say are some of the lessons that we can take from history right now this this is scary you know not and I'm not talking about the overall scariness of pandemic, folks losing their jobs, losing their lives, but scary because this is just so mirroring what we've seen a hundred years ago. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't mean to get too, too teachy right now, but you know, a hundred years ago in the late, the late 19, 17, 18, 19, you know, we were dealing with race riots. Yeah. We, we saw a lot of that this summer. We were dealing with a war, World War I, um, black people going off to fight and then coming back and still dealing with race issues, um, mm-hmm. stuff that we're seeing now. We were dealing with a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, folks was wearing their masks then, though. They was even masking up then. It's, it's pictures. Yeah. And, you know, we were dealing with very corrupt political instability. Yeah. Uh, folks that are having scandals left and right, like exactly a hundred years ago. And then this tumultuated us into the 1920s. You know, everybody likes to look at that great Gatsby folks partying, mm-hmm. women showing their thighs and cutting their hair and smoking seeds and all that stuff. But then right after 1920s, we end up in trouble yes. <laughs> in the Great Depression. So we need to make sure that um, we're just keeping our eyes on the pattern and just making sure we pay attention to things that will impact us directly short term and then also long term I know now it's kind of hard to think so far out on what can really impact your life your livelihood and because a lot of us we're just going day by day taking stuff day by day but if we're not careful we can end up in a lot of the similar situations that our ancestors have already been through so that we don't have to and we don't want to struggle twice no we so don't we just, we just got to make sure to keep our eyes open and if stuff looks like a coincidence uh it probably ain't if it look funky it probably is Ooh. and you need to <laughs> you need to investigate <laughs> talk about it and, and see what's going on Yes, I agree, Michael. And with that being said, what do you think we might be teaching students in the future about, you know, just what what is going on today? Do you think that would impact education on any level? 
I don't know what I don't know what this chapter in the history book is gonna look like. Because it's gonna be a chapter. That book getting thick. It's gonna be a book. It's, it's gonna be a class uh, in college in the future, twenty twenty, unpacking. Um, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I know that I do think that right now with our right. youth, we should be really focused on social and emotional well-being because we're all dealing with a lot but our youth are very impressionable um they haven't been able to develop certain mature ways of coping or handling things and they're going through a lot and they're still expected to log on to school every day and complete all their working tests so we're putting a whole lot on them it's just a whole lot on a lot of us right now, but we got to definitely pay more attention to our youth and their social and emotional well-being. You're so right about that because um, I have a seven-year-old and he is in the first grade and, you know, he just started school and now he can't go to school. And yeah. I was so happy when he started because he was being sociable, but now we had to pull back. So it's kind of a weird time for these kids right now. And, all I can do is try to give him some support and, you know, he want to be around kids. But here we go with pandemic. He can't play right now. He can't be too close. So it, it's a very weird time right now. But I want to kind of back up a bit. When you graduated CBU, I know you went to New York for a while. Tell me about Columbia, lady. Tell me. Tell I me. I love New York. Oh, my gosh. I love New York. And, you know, the only reason I went, and I, and I, I think I mentioned this earlier a lot of stuff you know folks don't know we assume that a lot of people know or are privy to a lot of information places people but they don't like i said i didn't know much about hbcu i I know i went to southern here to classic every year Mm -hmm. but i didn't you know mix the two put two and two together but also about ivy league i didn't know what that was you know we're down south you don't hear much about that you hear about sec with football you don't hear about certain academic institutions and but somebody because I was interning at the National Civil Rights Museum um, through my history degree and my supervisor was like well at some Ivy League schools they give scholarships to those who are first generation students and I was like well first off what's Ivy League second off what's the first generation third off what's going on here (laughs) how can I figure that out um so when she told me that I just started researching and started looking things up and I'm the type of person if I'm going to do something I want to put my best foot forward I want to make sure I put my all in it and if I can't do it super duper well I'm not going to do it so I said with education I want to be able to give my best to these children whichever ones I end up with and be able to teach them with the best strategies as possible so that they can then go out and make their own perspective and decisions in the world so when I looked up top education schools in the country, top two were Columbia Teachers College and Vanderbilt. So I applied to them both, got in to them both, went to interviews with them both. And, you know, with Vanderbilt, I was just like, I got to get out the South because mm-hmm. <laughs> spending four oh years in CBS, I need, I need a new scenery. <laughs> so, and then when I went to interview in New York, I just fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. I just fell in love with it. the culture, the the people, the traditions, the the, we talk about grit and grind here. Baby. They grinding. They grinding. No, no complaints. 
and fast with it. I think mm-hmm. I'd slow down now that I'd move back, but just yeah. just quick with it, and it was wow. it was lovely. And I liked the aspect of you just learn from so many pieces of the city. Everything is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Everybody's there: education, art, music, business, economy, just everything, at, like at your fingertips. Yeah. And so it wasn't hard to decide to go to school there. Um, and then Columbia, for folks who don't know, is they've gentrified um, a part of Harlem. So Columbia's in Harlem mm-hmm. um, off 116th through 120th Street, which is where Harlem is. And you, you really see the impacts of what gentrification is in places like New York. Um, we have it slowly in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, gentrification is not a good thing. If it was, it wouldn't have a negative connotation. It would just be revitalization for the neighborhood. Uh, but right. it's not. It's gentrification and, and folks coming in, taking your stuff and doing what they want with it. Basically. Yeah. But I definitely enjoy New York and I learned so much um, up there with schooling and my job and the stuff I was involved in. It was mm-hmm. it was awesome. How long were you there, Michaelin? So I was only there three years mm-hmm. I was only there three years felt like five by the time I came back I'm like oh, okay what y'all, what y'all doing around here um yeah. at home but yeah it was a short time but a lot was done in wow it. so when you got through uh with Columbia you were like okay I got to get back to Memphis to implement all of this that I learned or <laughs> what happened right there in that area of your life Michaelin? well you know I'm gonna shade some folks and I'm gonna say Ooh. we gotta stop in this city loving folks from the outside first Mm -hmm. like we really need to give the same fervor and love to folks who are right here um and me knowing that i was like well you know i'm gonna stay in new york i'm gonna finish this first master's program i'm gonna work up here in the school for a little bit get my next master's program come on down to memphis snag me a school because folks folks in memphis love folks from outside Mm -hmm. um but it it didn't work it didn't work out that way so in 2014 march 10 2014 my dad died in memphis and i was already back and forth um shout out to my auntie who worked with the airlines i get them cheap tickets but back and forth every two weeks um from new york to memphis new york to memphis just to see my dad take care of my dad go see him while he was at icu see him at home help him go around um because the year before i made the decision to go to grad school my dad was paralyzed Mm -hmm. so he went from you know racing up and down some avenue two seat of sticks chill riding motorcycles all around to becoming paralyzed that's a that's a huge shift oh, and wow. being my father's only child i didn't he said that it was good for me to go so when i made the decision to move to new york my dad was already in the wheelchair so i was having to make the decision of do i stay here where i know i can't get the best out of what I need to be better for others Mm -hmm. um or do I take my daddy's blessing and go to New York and just you know talk to him every day come back and forth and that's and that's what I did and so in 2014 when he passed it really I mean still do of course it's my daddy um took a took a toll on me up there mainly because I wasn't here yeah. And then 
you know, dealing with my mom and my little brother on my mom's side, I just got tired of coming back and forth yeah. um, because but I was here every two weeks. So when That's I was here, I would pick up and be doing stuff in the community. I would be doing outreach. So it was like, okay, no, I want to keep on spending this money for uh, plane tickets or do I just want to go ahead and make the plan to move back down? So my me and my boyfriend then now husband uh we was like okay we're just gonna make the plan to move back down to memphis a little early i knew i was coming back i just didn't know how soon but you know everything happens for a reason and i wouldn't trade those experiences even at cbu even though it ain't hbc (laughs) i wouldn't trade those experiences because all of that made me be able to see things differently yeah um it's and i think that that perspective is definitely needed in education and in the political landscape in Memphis. Um, If I wouldn't have left, I don't think I would be doing half the stuff that I'm doing now the way that I'm doing it now. Yes. Wow. I definitely appreciate all those experiences. Wow. And when you hit back in Memphis, I know that your eyes were open with a new... Oh, yeah. What did you (laughs) immediately notice um, or felt that you had to do when you got back, Michaelin? Hit the ground running. Mm. Hit the ground running. First thing I did was um, move back on my mom, save some money, look for a house in North Memphis. Yes. Um, I'm like, I gotta, if I'm doing the work here, I gotta be here. You know, I gotta be amongst what I want to change. I can't be, you know, North Memphis down, living in Germantown. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no shade to anybody, but the way that I want to do my work, I need to be fully involved and invested in what I say that I care about. So look for a home here, bought a home, moved in, started doing community advocacy. So forming partnerships and doing the work all across North Memphis. So I started a nonprofit called Hourgrass, Our Roots. and founded in 2014 and what we do our main thing is just to push progression in all north memphis neighborhoods so whether that be doing our voter education project um whether that be supporting neighborhoods that need assistance and communicating with other neighborhoods or getting their projects and their advocacy off the ground whatever that looks like is what ogor does so within network form partnerships um, foreign folks trust, like I said, all up and down Chelsea, um, areas in which I know, but now I'm going in in a different way. I'm not, you know, the the regular neighborhood kid <laughs> that would just be there with their friends going in and out the corner stores, um, going up and down the street in the cars. Now we're talking to seniors. Now we're trying to see why folks our age and folks around, how they can get the vote. Now we're seeing how the youth can be supported. What do the churches need? What do the schools there need? So just being able to progress my neighborhood from within is my whole scope of work. And within that, you have to have to include the children because it's, it's for them. Everything we're doing, everything we're setting up is for them. It's not for us to hold on to it's not for us to make our pedestal and stand there. It's for how, what are we giving to children once they're able to be able to do things on their own? 
and so that they don't leave and stay forever gone and feels and feels like Memphis is is not a place that accepts them and wants them and loves them. We need to do our best that we can just leave a great foundation for them to build on. We got to. Definitely. I totally agree, Michael. And um, what do you think are some things that community members can do right now to revitalize their communities and, you know, combat gentrification? You already talked to me a little bit about gentrification, (laughs) but what can community leaders do right now? Number one is so easy. Talk, talk to folks, see, see what's going on on your streets. See what's going on in your neighborhoods. How many calls did Ms. Jones about her house from these telemarketers? Is she in a bind? Is she looking at giving up her home for that $10,000 from the wholesaler that's calling her on the phone talking about we buy cash houses? And and how is that going to impact your street and your neighborhood? And you look up and now you got a whole street that's been flipped and that you probably can't afford, but we weren't talking and in communication to really see what's going on. Now, great example of a neighborhood that does that is French Fort. Mm. You ain't getting in French Fort. That's not on the on the real estate website. Okay? You have to, they're talking to each other. They're selling stuff, you know, selling homes amongst each other and each other's family. It's Where is French Fort? Exactly, right? I've never <laughs> heard of it. <laughs> Tell me about um, The main street over there is Riverside. It's by the Metal Museum. Okay, I know where that in is. In the old Marine Hospital. And uh, lately, uh, they remodeled the Marine Hospital. I think it got ghosts, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> the Marine Hospital to be lofts and apartments. And so, I won't say that that's gentrification because it's not encroaching in the French Fort. It's just that. But I will say that having those lofts open will open a new set of eyes that never seen French Fort. You have wonderful, and it's South Memphis. It's a lot of good architecture in, in places in South Memphis too. But um, you have a beautiful neighborhood set on nice, lush, vast land, great stock of houses, large, medium, small, that people don't see because you shouldn't be over there if you ain't got no folks over there. Mm, (laughs) And you can't, and so I'm, me personally, for neighborhoods like that, I'm afraid that when a new population of folk may move in and set eyes on it, that the target might end up to be a negative impact. If folks don't keep communicating and talking to one another so that if something was to come that they had to band together for, they'd be able to do that. So that's just a, that's just an example of one that we got here in the city that does that. Mm -hmm. And we just have, we got to talk to each other. We really got to talk to each other. We have to be more neighborly. We have to be more aware of what's going on. We just got to talk to each other. Yeah, keep this line of communication open. Uh, Michael, and tell me how you decided to get into Memphis politics and run for city council. Tell me about that. Well, I would say that everybody's already in politics. Okay. Anything you do, every decision you make, somebody has already (laughs) decided um, a list of regulations or rules that impact the decisions you can make. So you talked about, you know, taking your kids to the barbershop. Mm-hmm. They got to get licensing. They have to get zoning. 
And a lot of those things are decided by government. So I would say that local government is probably the most important in folks' everyday lives. Mm -hmm. And this is something I was explaining to folks on the campaign trail. So knowing that everybody's already in politics, we have to make sure we're as knowledgeable as we can be. You know, you don't have to know everything, but we need to be able to hold folks accountable and we need to be able to know where to go to get good political information. Mm-hmm. So for me, I decided to run because I told you I'm in education. I do community advocacy, but I was always running against that wall, not being able to get the fullest of what I can because of who my representative was on city council. Mm. So I had to, I would say, well, I can call the state rep. I can call my county commissioner. I can, I can email my senator and get a reply back. But why can't we get anything on the city level? Mm. And also, when you think about city politics, local politics, city and county, that's what impacts our kids the most. Mm -hmm. So seeing the problems that my students would come in with and not being able to help them pass the point that it's not an education issue, it's a city issue. Mm -hmm. You know, I can do everything I can in the building. I can give you help, assistance, tutoring. We have coat drives. We give away food. You can get your your medical. Kids can get their medical, their eyes tested, their their teeth cleaned in school. But once you get home and you dealing with your parents having third shift jobs, having you know warehouse low wage jobs, or you dealing with issues on your street with potholes, or somebody ran into the pole, your lights out. Now y'all can't do stuff at the house you're dealing with slum lord problems depending on where you stay those are things that we can't impact mm-hmm. in the classroom so in my eyes i said in order for me to one have accurate representation in my area where i want to be where i'm invested where i bought my house on purpose and in order for me to try to alleviate some of the problems that my kids see on a day-to-day basis and that their families go through, then I asked God, was it right for me to run? Should I do it? Because, you know, you can, anybody can do something, but I wanted to make sure that it was something I should do. Yeah. So ask for clarification on that. Got that. And like I said, I don't like doing nothing if I don't do it super well. And <laughs> if I if I don't know, I could put my best foot forward. So I put my best foot forward and, the people did too. I, I wouldn't be nowhere if it weren't for God and the folks and they support and we did yes. it. Yes. So you are on this city council in Memphis, baby. And I look, if I, I look at the news daily and um, of course we, we see uh, updates and, and different things from the city council, see some of their meetings. Um, since you've joined the city council, how has that been? Do you feel that you're making the impact that, that you want it is has it been easy has it been challenging tell me about that michaelin i was definitely a challenge but i love a challenge i love you it love it's a challenge too easy. <laughs> it's too easy some some not going right so right. i love and you and as we talked about i love history i like connecting the dots i like seeing what doesn't make sense i like reading i like going against what you've said and what's on the paper and mm-hmm. seeing what's going on and some people don't like that yeah. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. I don't have a political background. I have a people background 
and I have a reading background. And I think that as long as you're doing your best for others, Mm -hmm. trying to make sure you put the people first, which is what I try to do, then I think it'll work out pretty well. So I think it's been working out pretty well. Um, This has been one hell of a year. (laughs) It's our first year. We got sworn in January 1st and Mm. it's felt like three years. But I would say that being able to serve others during this time, I'm very grateful for. Yes. And so not just looking at what we're able to have in my family, and we've had a lot of ups and downs and, and deaths and issues too this year, but seeing how I can do a little bit more to impact the lives of the folks that I said I want to represent. So, you know, all year, I'm sure you, you've seen some stuff, but stuff like mass drives, food giveaways, mm-hmm. just anything that can just bring some help and some sunshine to folks is what we need this year. So that's what I've been focusing on a lot this year with like people to people mm-hmm. things, but in the council, it's just straight, you know, some of them folks up there just make stuff harder than it, than it gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't have to be that hard. That's yeah. that's all I'm gonna say about that. But Not I'm gonna keep pushing and fighting because of who I'm doing it for. And it's for the people. I know that's right, Michael. And, and you know, with you being in this role and COVID is here, of course. Um, you know, I'm wondering, do you have some insight right now on I guess recent developments on Memphis with COVID? I, I think I recently saw they're changing a few things with capacity, uh, with local businesses. And I'm wondering, like, how is that going to be managed? Like, what are we doing, Michael? Help me They're out. They're wondering the same thing. You're uh, wondering, too? I'm like, <laughs> how y'all going to keep up with it, though? Like, yeah. And if, if you're wondering, then you already know what the answer is. But I think that one thing we have to understand in Memphis is we got two governments. We got city and county. And so when those mandates come out, that's coming from the county health department. Oh, okay. So we also got to realize when the governor says something, when the state puts out a mandate, that's only for cities and counties that don't have a health department. So counties like Davidson, Nashville, counties like Shelby, Memphis, like when we saw on there, I think Governor Lee said something about, yeah, y'all can do this in this capacity. And Shelby County was like, uh, Nah, we mm. we doing our own mandates because that's what's allowed by the state because we have our own county health department. Mm. So this latest health directive number 16 is what it's called if folks are looking it up online. In my eyes, it's weak. Mm. It's a weak order. If you read it, it's exactly what we are doing right now. If you could take a snapshot of how the city of Memphis is operating, it would be in a new health order that starts after Christmas. So nothing really changing. Nothing is really changing. Nothing is changing on there except for it says social gatherings, 10 or fewer, but it still allows for restaurants and lounges to operate. Um, It does cut them capacity from 50% to 25%. But then as you ask, we're thinking about regulation, we're thinking about How's that going to be enforced? And I'm not saying this to deter the process or the system. 
I'm just saying that we should have cracked down a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We have been in this since March. Mm-hmm. There is no reason why in December the health department of Shelby County is afraid to make a decision because of restaurants or businesses that may or may not be able to keep afloat. We've, and and I know that people say it's two sides to this issue, but it's not. Mm-hmm. In my eyes, it's like, what are you, what are you willing to do to save others? Mm-hmm. How selfish can you be? It's not, it's not a two-sided issue. It shouldn't be a partisan issue because you should want folks to be alive, period. Yeah. And so what can you do in your own personal actions that's going to keep folks alive? And it's not a side to that. And I hate that that's how the narrative is. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to deal with. And that's what we're hearing. But we really have to see about our compassion. And not just compassion, just level of straight out. We're in a society. We're in a democratic society. And that's what you're supposed to do. So your action, your actions and freedoms should not infringe upon mine. Right. And if your actions and freedoms are infringing mm-hmm. on my freedom to be alive, then that's a problem. Right. And that needs to be regulated. So that's what just came out this week. I have no idea what after January 1st is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Daily, I keep up with um, news. They update us through the city, and I try to get that out as best as possible to my constituents through social media or, or email blasts. But we just have to do our best to stay safe, make decisions that are going to keep our family safe, and really prioritize people. Yeah. We haven't been prioritizing people a lot with our government response in Uh the city we haven't we've been prioritizing businesses but businesses let me tell you if we if we all get sick and we we dying and we in the hospital you ain't gonna have no customers so we have to think about what are we willing to do what are we willing to do that's that's my view that's my view on that it's amazing because like you said um you know are we really looking at the business owners from the perspective of them staying afloat versus people being alive i mean basically you need to look (laughs) like what's more important right at the end of the day so this is very interesting um michael and and how do you think this moment has defined our leadership right now just overall i've I've said this often this year and i'm going to keep saying it until we have our next elections uh, counted in 2022 and city in 2023 look at your representatives look at the leaders now and see how they acted in 2020 Mm. judge folks by 2020 Mm -hmm. because if they come to you talking about they want to lead this run for this 2022 2023 you need to look back at their record in 2020 and see what they did and how they reacted to this whole debacle yeah. And if it's not up to your standard, they don't deserve, they don't deserve to, to lead or represent you because folks show they, they truth. Wow. They show their truth this year. They yeah. show who they're for. They show who they're fighting for or who they're fighting against. They show their courage or lack of, they, they showed it. Yeah. We showed it. So judge us. I'm putting me in there too. Judge us by 2020 and uh-huh. see, do we deserve your vote? your support in the future because if they want they want with you this year 
they ain't never gonna <laughs> never gonna be with you. So okay, you right. Judge us by this year, girl. You so right. Like twenty twenty has exposed so much across mm-hmm. the board: yeah. politics, relationships, family. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just overall. So this has been a very interesting year. Uh, it's definitely had its pros and of course its cons. But Michaelin, I really appreciate you today. You have been a delight on this verbally effective <laughs> podcast today, baby. We've learned so much about you and your journey. And I pray that, you know, you you remain with that fire that you have, that passion for North Memphis and your community. I know you're doing an exceptional job. Yes. Put them up. <laughs> And uh, right now, I want you to let everybody know how they can get in touch with you and contact you, um, follow you on social media going forward, Michaelin. So as I tell everybody, my city number is 901-721-7667. Let me know what's going on. If you need me, need help anywhere on social media, you can find me at M Easter Thomas, M-E-A-S-T-E-R-T-H-O-M-A-S. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Michaelin. I know you got things to do and I really appreciate you. I can't wait for everyone to hear this wonderful podcast about your journey and you have a wonderful holiday lady. You You stay safe out here. I will. I will. And thank you so much for joining me today, lady. Thank you again. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.